How are we? I love that. That's so dramatic, that bumper. That was great. Um, so uh, a couple things. Thank you, Sally, for sharing um, wherever you went. Uh, I encourage you guys, uh, get involved. I love that like, God has birthed this vision in them uh, to provide in a, in a desperate need that we have as a culture, uh, to, to bring people in hopefully to a home where they can get resourced and they can heal and they can get counseling and, and, and get the tools that they need to go out and escape the abuse, escape the horrific things they're exposed to and start a new life. So I think one of the things that their, their hope is in the next steps is to eventually raise enough money to buy a house so that they can have a place where women can come and stay and live and get back on their feet and escape what they are running from. And I don't know about you, but you can join me in praying. Like, I'm just full out praying that someone will either buy them a house to, to use for this ministry or give them a house. So join me in praying for that. I don't know how long it'll take, all right? It's a big prayer, uh, but join me in praying for that. And if you have a house laying around, you, you might want to think of it, um, so uh, another thing before we get into the sermon, uh, we are starting over the next couple weeks announcing groups that we have starting up. We have a couple groups starting up, a college group, and then a, uh, a course that we are running. Uh, one of the things that we do is we have life groups that are ongoing groups that, that keep going um, throughout the seasons for uh, years at a time. We have Bible studies that meet for six to eight weeks that focus in on scripture, uh, and then we have courses. And, and so... We have a Bible study for college students coming up, and then we have a course coming up called Emotionally Healthy uh, Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And the whole purpose of this course is to spend eight weeks together in studying what it means to be emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy. Turns out those two things kind of go hand in hand. And and so uh, over the next couple weeks, look for sign-ups. Uh, that'll be online next week here in person, that you can sign up to be a part of those groups. Psalm 63. I read Psalm 63 this week. And I'll read some of it for you. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Like, isn't that beautiful? And I read that, and my first thought was, I want that. I want that to be my heart and my mind towards Jesus. 
Like, I want to sit there and say, I want to thirst for you. Everything I do, I want to seek you earnestly with everything I have. I want to seek you, Jesus. I want to seek you, Holy Spirit. I want to make room for you. I want to make my life so it's about you. When times are good and when there are struggles. I thought about this, even in the lowest moments, in the, the, mo- the largest struggles that we face, I want to be able to say, Jesus, I thirst for you. And then my next thought was this. How do you get there? Right? Like, I think many of us, even if you're not following Jesus this morning, many of us would say, like, we want that. Like, I want that passion. I want that desire. I want that thirst in my life. When many of us, that's not our experience, right? Can we, can we just be honest? Most of us were trying to get through the day. Most of us were trying to get through the struggle. We're trying to make it one step at a time. But I think most of us in the room could go, man, when I read that psalm, like I wish that was my heart. And I thought, you don't get there by accident. You don't. You don't wake up one morning going, oh, this morning I thirst for Jesus. It's all about him. No matter what happens, I'm going to earnestly seek him. Which, by the way, means that the psalmist isn't feeling Jesus right now. But that's okay, because that's not affecting his relationship with Jesus. And he's going, it's okay, I don't feel him right now, but I'm going to seek him out. I'm going to thirst for him. I'm going to chase after him. I'm going to do the things in my life that put me in relationship with him. It doesn't happen by accident. But I think so many of us are living our life like it does happen by accident, right? Like one day we'll just wake up and be like, oh man, there's that intense burning passion for Jesus. And so I think we have to ask the question, what are our habits in life? What are our habits? What do you do on a daily basis? Uh, There's one uh, study from Duke University that talks about habits, and it says 40% of what you do during a day does not require a decision by you. Think about it. Just take a mental note of your day. What requires a decision and what do you just do out of habit? Think about it. Go through waking up. What do you do as soon as you wake up? Maybe some of you have to decide to wake up. Or maybe some of you just wake up. I'm still a place where I sometimes I have to decide to wake up. What do you do next? Go to the bathroom. Maybe you jump on your phone. 
Maybe you go to the kitchen. Maybe you get a glass of water. Maybe you get some coffee. Maybe you pick up a book and, and read. And, or maybe you do some prayer time. Or maybe you're thrust in, into kids already awake asking you a million questions, uh, wanting to get the, get the day going. And then you probably have a routine where you get ready for work or you get ready for school. You get ready for whatever's next. Much of that is probably on autopilot mode. You probably have a way that you drive to work. You probably have a work day that's fairly predictable. A home routine uh, as you come home from the work day that's fairly predictable. Your nights probably generally look similar. We all have these habits that we fall into in life. Some of them are intentional and some of them are not. 40% of what we decide to do aren't actually decisions that we make. Maybe they were at one point, but at some point those fall off and just start operating. What are your habits? Because whatever you do on a daily basis, whatever you do every morning, whatever you do every midday, whatever you do every night, becomes a part of your life. And at some point we have to ask the questions, are our habits leading us towards Jesus? Or are our habits slowly dragging us away from Jesus? I suppose there could be a middle neutral ground in there as well. And so for the next few weeks, I want to talk about what are our habits. I want to talk about how we think. I want to talk about money. I want to talk about all the things. And for habits, you can maybe substitute the word spiritual disciplines, uh, but I think it, it shaves off some of uh, maybe the religious connotations or the baggage that comes with the idea of spiritual disciplines. Like, I don't know about you, but spiritual disciplines, I think of like, oh, you have to be really disciplined to do those. So I want to talk about how do we think, how do we act, what do we do in our life, what habits bring us closer to Jesus. Because nobody arrives to Psalm 63 on accident. It's a lifetime of making decisions. Making things a part of your life, creating habits which point you to Jesus, which then, especially when the bottom falls out, brings you to a place where you can say, I thirst for Jesus. I earnestly seek him with everything that I have. So, we ready? Uh, turn with me to Romans 7, 21. In Romans 7, verse 21, we have Paul. And Paul is writing this letter to the Romans. 
And Paul is talking about, he's slowly walking through, like this is what sin looks like. Here's the results of sin. This is what uh, life looks like with sin, when sin, sin is dominating life. When your brokenness and all this stuff is primary in your life, this is what it looks like. This is what it leads to. And then he pivots and goes, this is what it looks like with life in the spirit. Life with Jesus, life in Jesus, life orientated around Jesus. This is what it looks like. And here's this part in Romans 7 that at least I can uh, resonate with. He says this, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. See, before that section, he says this statement in verse 15. I do not understand what I do, For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And as it is, it is no longer myself who does it, but it's the sin in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, and it's my sinful nature. But I have this desire to carry out what is good. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do. Did you catch that? I think it says this. uh, You could say it very simply. There's a war waging inside of me. I want to stop eating junk food, but I'm just so drawn to the candy. I want to stop procrastinating, but there's this battle that I fight every time that, that there's something that's holding me back. I want, I know what I should be doing. I know what's good. I want to do the good, but there's something inside that is holding me back. I don't want to overspend a target, but man, this stuff just looks so good. And if I could just buy it, it'll make me happy. Anybody relate? Paul's sitting with this struggle, internal struggle. I want to do good. But there's this battle that that I keep falling into these habits, these routines, these struggles. And I want to do good, but but I keep getting drawn over here. I I keep... if I focus on the right thing, I can get over here a little bit, but there's this, there's this war that's being waged. There's this chaos inside. And he says there's two things operating here. There's the flesh, and there's the spirit. In chapter 8, Paul goes into, this is what life looks like in the spirit. So all these things that I struggle with, that I, like I keep wrestling with, I don't want to do it, but I keep finding myself there. Like all this struggle, this wrestle, when I find myself in the spirit, 
because I'm a new creation in Christ. I have a new identity. I'm no longer the old person, but I am brand new in Jesus. And he gives me strength. He gives me power. And in that, in the spirit, there is no more condemnation. Paul's trying to articulate this battle that is within. The battle with what scripture calls the flesh, which is these desires that aren't of Jesus that are all part of our life. Think like carnal desires that we all experience. And then there's this idea of life in the spirit. And that is life that is thirsting for Jesus that is desiring Jesus, that is centering life on Jesus. You could put it this way. Over here, the flesh is trying to worship what has been created. And it's trying to fill the voids with what has been created, which in turn leaves you wanting more. But in spirit, it's worshiping the creator. It's being satisfied by the creator. It's finding your identity in the creator, not the created. So Paul illuminates the struggle that we all have. Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Paul in Galatians 5 talks about walking in the spirit. He says you can walk in the flesh. You can do the things that satisfy the flesh, those desires, those kind of carnal natures of all of us, of humanity, or you can walk in the spirit. And he's encouraging constantly, walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit. That's where you're going to find what you want. You walk in the flesh, you're going to find addiction. You're going to find death. You're going to find struggle. You're going to find all these things over there. So it's constant encouragement. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And then in Galatians chapter 6, he continues his letter to the church. And he says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And he gives us encouragement. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Yeah, it's going to be a battle. We aren't in heaven yet, so there's going to be this fleshy side that we have to constantly contend with, that we constantly have to wrestle with. We constantly have to wrestle down. But don't give up. Keep doing good. Don't become weary. And he says, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
Now, there's an interesting idea behind these verses, and a lot of it comes from this book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. There's a small group that's going through it. Shelley's leading a small group that's going through this book. I think they talked about this chapter last week, so this will be some review for you. But there's an idea that's going here. There's an idea that is at play. And it's very simple. Every cause has an effect. Every cause has an effect. Think about it. When you hit a baseball with a bat, what happens? The ball goes somewhere. Or it doesn't if you miss. And I guess it continues on where it was going. Say you're decent. You hit the ball. It goes somewhere, right? Every cause has an effect. And it's just as true in the spiritual world. As it is the non-spiritual world. Most of us get this from a pretty young age. But then there's another principle that goes along with it. The effect is often disproportionate to the cause. Every cause has an effect. The effect is often disproportionate to the cause. There's kind of this amplifying effect where our actions yield more than we would expect over time. See, outside of scripture, this is called the law of returns. You get what you pay for. What goes around comes around. There's no pain. There's no gain. There's this fundamental principle in life that as you put out, something returns. And I think this principle is found throughout Scripture. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. John Mark Homer says, Sow a rose seed, and what do you get? A rose. Unless there's something weird that I don't know about. Sow a rose seed, you get a rose. So poison ivy, what do you get? A weed that is terrible, right? What you sow, you get back. You sow a rose seed, you get a rose. And then there's a more important principle that goes along with this. You sow a seed, a rose, an ivy, an apple, a grain of wheat, it starts as what? A small, tiny seed. And after time, you get a plant, or you get a tree, or you get a harvest. There's this idea. Every time we sow to the flesh, or every time we give into the flesh's desire to sin, we plant something in the soil of our hearts. He says this, which then it begins to take root, it begins to grow, and eventually you yield a broken harvest. For some of us, we know this all too well, right? Whether it be in your family, whether it be in your own personal life, 
some desire got out of control. You tried to satisfy that desire with something that isn't Jesus, and pretty soon you've got a mess on your hands that you're trying to control. I think of uh, scripture in, in James where he talks about the tongue and gossip. He says, the tongue is like fire. As you gossip, it, it, it's essentially like it becomes a small spark. And pretty soon, as you gossip, as you spread this stuff around, it becomes a forest fire that is uncontrollable, that you can no longer control. He then says, thankfully, the same is true of the Spirit. Every time you sow to the Spirit, you invest the resources of your mind, your body, into nurturing your inner man or inner woman connection to the Spirit of God. You plant something deep, which over time takes root and bears fruit that looks like Christ-like character. What are you sowing? Or in other words, what are your habits? How do you think? What do you do? Are your habits sowing into your flesh or are your habits sowing into your spirit? Into the spirit? Are habits growing your desires into into the flesh? Or are they focusing you on the Spirit, on Jesus? Where are your habits taking you? Because again, think about it. 40% of what you do during a day, you're not making a rational decision on. So 40% at least of what we do during a day is just purely reaction. It's just purely a habit that's been built into our life. I think at some point we got to take a step back and go, whoa, whoa, what are the habits in my life? What are the things that are running in the background that, that I'm not even aware of? Whatever you do daily, whatever you watch, whatever you say, whatever you read, whatever you think, whatever actions you do daily determines who you become permanently. So what are your habits? Over the next few weeks... I want to bring up a series of topics that have to do with our habits. How we think, how we act, what we do. But before we get there, I think it's really easy to get to the place where you're like, I I have goals. Like, it's like the New Year's Eve thing, right? Like, I have goals for this year. I want to be a new person. I want to do something different. I want to change. I want to start working out. I want to eat better. I want to do all these things. I want to become a superhuman. Because last year, I wasn't. We all know this, and we're all in the same boat. 
It's okay. But there's a reason why your goals usually don't last past Valentine's Day. Is anybody, did anybody set goals for the new year that you are still doing? Raise your hand if you had goals in the new year. We are kind of a sorry bunch. Man, I guess that's another thing. If you don't try to achieve anything, you won't be disappointed. <laughs> I, know, I know you're not telling me the truth. But here's a question I want us to think on. Right? It's so easy to be like, oh, I want to be better at prayer. I want to be better at reading scripture. I got to do this thing. I got to check the list. I got to set up a daily prayer time. I got to set up a Bible schedule reading time. I got to do this. I got to serve. I got to do all these things. And before you know it, you get two days in, you fail on the third day and you go, what's the point? Right? So as we talk about habits, as we talk about practices in our life, I want you to think on and answer this question. What do you want to become? It's not what you want to do. It's not what goals can I set to try to achieve. The real question is who do I want to become? And then we take a look at our habits and the rhythms of our lives. And we go, if I want to become this, that means this. That means I have to stop doing this or start doing this. Now, what does that look like? If I want to become a person who can honestly Cry out to God, Psalm 63. I seek after you. I thirst after you. My life is dependent on you fully. You are the source. If I want to become that, that means certain things for my life. Right? Like that means... Maybe you don't spend your life on Instagram or, or, or TikTok or in your job or in your relationships. Like if I want to become that, that means I have to cultivate certain things in my life. That means I have to bring in some habits in my life. that will slowly, one step at a time, bring me closer to who I want to become in Jesus. So, as we close out here, I want to ask just a series of questions. Because I really want us to spend a couple minutes as worship team comes up just asking the question, who do you want to become in Jesus? So take a few moments, close your eyes, 
Get out a piece of paper, pen, get out your phone, take some notes, and just start praying this. Worship team is going to play two more songs. Pray it during those songs. Who do I want to become? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I want to be the person who is financially free from stress, from the stress of money. Someone who sees money as something to be thankful for, something to manage as a gift from Jesus, something to not only provide for my needs, but to provide for the needs of those around me. Or maybe you want to be a person that your identity is solid in Jesus. Rather than your job, your relationships, your desires, your wants, your struggles... Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, I want to be the type of person that takes my thoughts captive and surrenders them to Jesus. So thoughts just aren't randomly appearing in my head and taking control and ruining my whole day. And I want to be somebody who forms new thoughts that are Christ-honoring and true. I want to be a person that can spot when the enemy is trying to deceive me or lead me astray and come back to Jesus. Maybe you want to be a person that knows scripture so that you can reflect on it and so that you can recall it when you need to. Maybe you want to be a person that's filled with joy and hope regardless of how difficult the trials are. Maybe you want to be a person that's sensitive to and led by the Holy Spirit. So you can tell when it's the Holy Spirit's voice and you can be obedient. Maybe you want to be a person that has the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The fruit, the gifts. Maybe you want to be a person that forgives. For their sake and for yours. so you don't become bitter and angry and unaware of what you're feeling and thinking throughout the day. Maybe you want to be a person that loves and serves others. Who do you want to be in Jesus? Let's all stand.